Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Welcome to Ruthie's Table 4, a production of iHeartRadio and Atomize Studios. Michael Mann and I met about 25 years ago through architecture. On a trip to London, he asked to visit the Lloyds Building, designed by my husband, Richard Rogers. For us, it was an honor. For if Michael was a fan of Richard's architecture, Richard was a huge fan of Michael's movies. In fact, when watching Alley, Miami Vice, Collateral, my arm would be constantly squeezed, not due to a dramatic moment of fear or tension or mystery, but at the way the buildings, streets, airports, bridges, and interiors, even elevators, were portrayed on screen. Over long dinners, Richard and Michael often compared making a movie to making a building. Michael once said, well, at least, Richard, in a building, you can say to a client, if you remove a column, the building will fall down. Try saying that about a scene to a producer. Of all the movies Michael has made, though, the one that I consider the greatest is 60 seconds long, shot entirely underwater in a swimming pool. Michael and Summer, with their children, swimmingly wishing a happy birthday to Richard. No architecture in this movie, just love. So, Michael, would you read the recipe for... Sure. This is a uh, southern Italian version of Italo Tonato, with cold roasted veal, fresh tomato. So it's 500 grams of cold roasted veal, 250 milliliters of tomato sauce, six basil leaves, 50 grams of salted capers, two lemons, and extra virgin olive oil. Slice the veal as finely as possible, squeeze the juice of one lemon, and mix it with three times its volume of olive oil, and season. Lay the veal slices over each plate, season with sea salt, and drizzle with the dressing. Spoon over the tomato sauce and scatter with the capers and basil leaves, and then drizzle with olive oil. This dish, Vitello Tonato, is very northern, and this is a southern version. And I wonder whether you have traveled from north to south in Italy. What is your Italian traveling experience? Varied, but mostly we spent a little time in Naples once upon a time, and then then in Venice and drove around the Dolomites at different times. But mostly it's been in... uh, it's been in the Media Romagna, around Modena, Maranello, where the Ferrari factory is, um, then in um, Bologna, Milan, where all the great design is. Yeah, and yeah. Um, It's very different. You know, we were just describing northern Italy. I don't know what you ate in Naples, and this dish being so southern, that it is, it's not even region to region or city to city. It can be village to village, right, town, you yeah. know, family to family, the way that people eat in Italy. First time I visited the Ferrari factory, I went across the street to Cavallino, the mm-hmm. restaurant that has been there since the 1950s. And the, the cuisine is Modenese. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it, the 
big metal cart full of horribly boiled meat. Mm. <laughs> Belito misto, that's right. Uh, yeah, I actually really love it. But they the, they do cook it a very they long, cook time. It a long time, and you get it the is, tongue, and you get the, get the everything. get everything. Yeah. 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 My but, my grandmother had the knack of totally destroying meat. She, oh, really? she yeah, would. I, know, I think it came from. <laughs> it came from I came from being a Russian immigrant yeah. or, or living, you know. Well, that's, and, yeah. Tell me about her. Where, so just starting going back to your child. So your grandparents came, both of them from Russia? My or grandparents just came from Russia. They came from about 70 or 80 miles north of Chernobyl. Did they come from the same place, or did they meet in they came, No, they came from the same place. They came from Overwatch. My grandfather had to leave under very traumatic circumstances in 1912, okay. and it took him 10 years to get my father who was one at the time, and my grandmother, to the United States. So your grandfather came first in 12, and then did he go directly to Chicago? No, he went to Whitechapel. He was in the British Army. Then he wasn't in the British Army. Then he came, then he went to uh, Hartford, Connecticut. Then he was in the American Army. In the First World War, then. First World War, yeah. 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 And then uh, 1919, he uh, lost his hearing in the flu epidemic. Yeah. My uh, grandfather died in the flu epidemic. Did he? The same generation, you know. And then finally, in 1922, I was able to get my grandmother and my father uh, out, and then they, they, they moved to Chicago. But she was a spectacular woman, very, very witty, very politically, very progressive. Yeah. But what, what, she, what she killed as a cook were knishes. She made these okay. cheese— Describe these, a knish. Knish is kind of a—it's a bread, small bread thing that's cooked in olive oil— and has either meat or cheese on the inside, and what it's made in a cast iron frying pan that's been around for 40 years, it's fantastic. And um, I remember one time I was driving home from her house, I'd picked up a blue earthenware container of this, of these things, and around the seat of the car, this car is a 54 Plymouth, um, it was my Uncle Sam's car, but he let me drive the car, there was a lot of traffic on California Avenue, and I was driving back to, to our house. And uh, so I t- took a hard right on Catalpa and took a left down an alley and hit a gigantic pothole in the alley. And in the way time slows down, I saw this earthenware container of my grandmother's condition start to fall off the seat in slow motion. And I saw myself heading to a telephone pole, and in an unthinking moment, it was either save the conditions yeah, or save the it. car. So I reached uh, for the conditions and just crashed the car into the pole. But this, to die for a condition might not have been a so great, a, great death, yeah. you know, but that, that's how so, much it meant. It's got all the important early themes of a but basically yeah. I- immature life yeah. from that point forward, which is driving cars and, and saving conditions. Yeah. And you, so your grandmother was the cook. She made the conditions. Was she the one that overcooked the beef, or was that your mother? No, she cook? overcooked the beef. I don't know. I think it was, I mean, it was a standing joke in the yeah. family. My brother and I, you know, you would chew it until yeah. your, your jaws ached and you couldn't yeah. masticate this. Yeah. What else did, did your grandmother... Did she live with you, by the way, your grandmother? Did no, she, no, she didn't. So you would go to her house. And right. Was that but, an event, right. to eat in her house? And my father was... Uh, my father stopped and saw her every day. every day. And later in life, when I knew more about life, I realized it was because of probably the 10 years that they were alone together, there was a certain bond there because uh, while my grandfather was gone, right. came the First World War, the Russian Revolution, the Civil War... And uh, there were pogroms in the area mm-hmm. from the, uh, the Civil War, from the white Russians. So, you know, there were hard times. If your grandmother brought her food, did your mother 
did they move towards American food? Did my mother was born in the United States. Okay. So my mother's worked. My, my grandmother, no, my grandmother cooked, uh, you know, if you cook the way they, traditionally the way they did, you went, you went to the store, you bought a live chicken, they killed mm. the chicken, you brought the chicken home, you, mm. you know. I'm now going back to the 1950s. And what was it like in your house? Who did the cooking at your house? Uh, my mother. Yeah. Did your father yeah. ever venture into the kitchen? Or was uh, it? Yeah, he did. And he had a real sensibility for cuisine. In what way? For um, fruit, number one, but then also uh, finely imported mushrooms from Poland, yeah. for example. Uh, a certain kind of a mushroom barley mm. soup. Or when I was working for my father when I was a kid, when I was like 12 to 16, uh, he had a like, supermarket, a small supermarket. And in the winter, I was, I was delivering groceries, and it's you know, 10 below, and you're carrying mm. groceries mm. In, in a wagon or something, carrying a portion that you got cold. And he always had some gigantic pot with some kind of a massive stew, you know, so cooking actually, at it all day long. In the, in the grocery store? In the back of the grocery store. Yeah, it was, it, it was a very family kind of, a, yeah. kind of affair. Yeah. Um, and exotic kinds of smoked fish from Eastern Europe yeah. would show up. And there'd be something hanging in the basement. Uh, but he would sell that. That was what no, was, that's, what was that's, it? That's what we, that's what we had. That's what we had at home. Yeah. And the grocery store sold. It was just American. a big, uh, yeah, it was just a standard kind of supermarket, neighborhood supermarket. What was yeah. the area? Was it? A- it's near Northwest Side. So it's kind of a mixed, kind of lower middle class, working class area. Very, very diverse population. Uh, two waves of Polish immigrants, a very upper middle class uh, wave of Polish immigration from the 1920s. Yeah. Very sophisticated people. Um, Jewish, Italian, some Irish. So it was quite mixed. Yeah. I saw when I, they had, we used to go to a church right after, must have been 1946, 47, mm-hmm. right, after the, right after the war. There was a neighborhood church a block away that had, that showed movies in the basement old black and white 16 millimeter movies and I remember being taken there when I was very young and uh, I saw a movie and I just remembered certain things about it. In 1991 when I, can't, when I couldn't figure out what to do next, what film to do next, I remember that railing around in my brain was this image of, a, um, uh, of an Iroquois Indian with head shaved bald and combined with a red coat, a British uniform, 18th century British uniform soldier. And that's such an anomaly because we always saw, as a kid, you always saw American, you know, Native Americans and cowboys or something. And that stuck in my mind. And also a corollary tragedy of the death of a young woman. And I realized that this had been rattling around in my head since I was about three. And so then it was Last of the Mohicans. Mm. And so I said, well, you got to go do Last of the Mohicans. So this, this old neighborhood really had this... Resonance. I think things impress themselves on your memory when you're very young yeah. in ways that are, are are huge. And then at home, who is it? You have a brother or sister? How many? I had a brother. Were? And did you sit down for meals? Did your father come Absolutely. back? Absolutely. We waited. Really? My father came he home. He took a bath. He took a shower. We formally sat down. And he always had a, a shot of whiskey. And uh, he had the shot of whiskey. He had a shot of whiskey. And yeah. uh, and we had a formal dinner every night. And did that continue till you left home? That continued till I left home, yeah. Mm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Help helps is a maxim I believe in. We all carry around stress and hardship, and when we keep it inside, it starts to chip away. 
Therapy is a safe place, and therapy is for everyone. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Ruthie today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Ruthie. BetterHelp.com slash Ruthie. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. When you left home, what was that like, going from being cooked for every day and then being out there? Did you cook yourself? Where were you after? Right uh, I after? did. I went, to, I went to the University of Wisconsin, Madison. Mm. And then after four years there, I went to London. Mm. And uh, yes, I did. I cooked for myself. I also was, uh, was working as a uh, kind of a short order cook doing breakfast in a girl's dormitory Where? in the in, morning. In, in Wisconsin. Wisconsin, yeah. yeah. So it was just... Yeah. Interesting, getting up at five thirty in the morning in Wisconsin yeah. in the winter and going to you know a lot of cook food, food from your grandmother to your mother to the grocery store to working. Did you ever work as a restaurant? Did yeah, I did. I was a, a short order cook one summer a cook, in a restaurant, not front yeah. of house. You worked, yeah, in the back. which yeah. is crazy. You will blanch at some of these stories from these places. We used to because uh, there'd be this massive rush, and, and it was a memory test because you were having to remember all these orders at the same time. Mm-hmm. And if somebody ordered a steak, the way we would get a steak done quickly is somebody would grab it out of the freezer. They'd throw it down the kitchen. We would catch it and dump it in the French fryer. In the fryer? <laughs> in the fryer, yes. Oh. <laughs> Absolutely horrible. We're probably guilty of some form of some aortic manslaughter or something exactly. because it's probably breaking the diners who had early heart disease because they ate these things. Yeah, and that was Wisconsin. And then you it's, went to... This is not whole cuisine. This is, uh, but what about London? Because I was in London in the 60s, and, and it was kind of... I always felt there was a kind of beginning of that multicultural excitement of food. Rationing was, you know, only right. 15 years before, after the war, I think. That, and then... And then in the 60s, there seemed to be a lot more food of Greece and Italy. This, it was much more vibrant. Did you remember the food of the totally. 60s? Totally. Absolutely. What was it I like? Mean, I, my experience with being a shorter cook and all this stuff, this is in the, this is in the early 60s in the States. And uh, I'm talking about you know, working for my father. This is in the 1950s. But in 65, I went to London to go to film school for two years and stayed there for six years. Mm. And the cuisine was, you know, basically beans on toast yeah. and transport calf. Yeah. And, what about uh, chip sandwiches? Did you ever have that? I, I wasn't that big really, on chip sandwiches. I was really big me. on transport calves. Yeah, this did you? A, beans on toast or you're having, uh, you know, or eggs. I used to love yeah, you know, British every sw- swimming in, in yeah. Greece. Bacon fat, maybe, large. All right. And the revelation was, I couldn't afford it, but the revelation was uh, was Greek food particularly. Yeah. Particularly, there's a heavy influence from Cypriot food. Mm-hmm. So it's like cheftalia sausage and those mm-hmm. kind of things. So there's these little funky kebab stands mm-hmm. around Charlotte Street, just north of Oxford Street, and then Indian food, which is a revelation. 
Yeah. Where did you live? I lived all over. I lived in Queensway very briefly, and then we were on New Kings Road. Then I lived in Balham, then Clapham South, and back in South Ken. Did anybody ever take you to a restaurant yes. that was? Yeah. How I, mean, did I that started, actually started making a little bit of yeah. money. And then, yeah. and then it, it, the thing that was so attractive was um, I think on Fulham, Fulham Road, there was an Italian restaurant, and I, I was living on. on 10 pounds yeah, a week, yeah, literally. Yeah, it's five yeah. pounds for rent, five pounds for food. Yeah. But the, the, the ambiance of a nice Italian restaurant on a, on a spring or a summer day, at, yeah. you know, at, at a Saturday or Sunday with families, kind of, which to me was kind of was so touching about yeah. the River Cafe because mm-hmm. that ambiance is there in its fullest, mm-hmm. most technicolor mm-hmm. form in your restaurant and this whole extended family that you yeah. created. So, But were you taken to, when you were in film school then? Right, you I was going in film, to school. film school. Was that in London or outside? Was that no, it was in Spain? London. It was in Covent yeah. Garden. It was on Charlotte Street, then it moved to Covent Garden. Yeah. It's a London yeah. film school. Yeah. And what was that like? That was great. You know, for the first time in my life, I was doing exactly only what I wanted to do, which but, is make film. Mm which was a revelation to me when it happened when I, in my junior year at Wisconsin. I took a film history course mm. for a um, kind of cynically. I thought, oh, we're gonna, there's going to be three credits for looking at movies, mm-hmm. and I didn't expect mm-hmm. to get completely mugged and hijacked by this whole notion, which yeah. occurred in a flash of light yeah. like the skies parted and right. a bolt of lightning came down and said, you will okay. do this, you will become a film director. <laughs> And from that point on, I knew that was it. That's what I wanted to do. Who was so there then, with you? Was Ridley Scott there? And was it Alan Parker and Ridley Scott? Were they in the same? Did you know them then? The, was, I knew Ridley. Yeah. I didn't know Alan Parker. I met Alan Parker years later, yeah. but I knew Ridley in, uh, you know, in the late 60s. I started a small production company after I got out of film school in London. We made some commercials and documentaries, yeah. and I shot some of... Uh, Paris after yeah. major in 68. So I was politically pretty involved. Yeah. And so life, life was changing and, and evolving. Um, at one point, I worked at 20th Century Fox towards yeah. 69 in production. And by that point, I was making enough money to kind of live reasonably. And I had a, a production manager I worked with whose wife was French, and he was quite a spectacular cook. And that was probably the first serious exposure I had to mm. really good cuisine. Home, home cooking. Yeah, French. it was yeah. home cooked French, yeah. French food. And then we were spending a lot of time in France at that point and traveling yeah. to Morocco and Italy. and yeah. So the world was getting to be a much larger place. Yeah. And France, was that huge for you, being in Paris? Being, well, that, 68 was pretty from, wild. Well, we got there much later. We got there in sort of 71, but there were still the yeah. buses full of police and yeah. the Daniel Combendit. Well, I interviewed Combendit, Alain Gismar, Alain Cravine. Wow. Yeah. Do you have that footage? Have you? No. You... It wound up. It Why? wound up in the bowels of NBC News. Can we not someplace? Find it? And yeah. I tried to find it years and years ago. Yeah. Couldn't find it. Did you make a documentary about from beginning to end, or were you just is it footage of for the news channel? We made that a you would documentary about the focus. of The documentary was that the 6th May-June had happened and what's, what's going to be the after effect. Mm. And that's what I was really focused on. And the prediction at the time, which was partially true, partially not, was that the major impact was going to be amongst uh, teenagers in the Lycees mm-hmm. and that there was a radicalization of the young workers, particularly young workers at the Renault factory mm. who were CGT, and they started to look at the CGT in a very different light as mm. being basically reactionary. Mm. But the idea that you're in a country and 40% of the population is on strike. Mm-hmm. And if you turned on ORTF, 
at six o'clock to watch the news. There'd be some girl. She might or may not still reading the news, sitting on a desk. She may or may not have a shirt on. I mean, it was it was close. Everybody, a youth generation had taken over, mm. and it was wasn't just students. It was students and young workers. Yeah, but then you know, and they say that De Gaulle that he had a plane ready. He, it was very very close to him leaving. Wasn't he was there? yeah. It he was, was really basically close. a prisoner. Yeah. In the Elysee yeah. Palace, yeah. and then he made a deal, and he couldn't count on the French army in France mm. because they would deploy, and then some you know, girls would show up with some flowers, and the soldiers would walk away from the APCs, so it was complete chaos. So he made a deal with the French army of the Rhine, because Germany was still occupied at that point, to come in and support him, and they um, extorted from him, in effect, uh, the release of Salon, who was a... Uh, a right-wing French general who, over the war in Algeria, was part of a plot to assassinate de Gaulle and was in prison. And that that was the quid pro quo of de Gaulle getting support from the military. And uh, And and then they marched in from Germany, and and then then everything dissipated. So the, the military quashed the... Right. Yeah. I was because there was always theories that the working class didn't... You know, that it was a student-led revolution and that it just didn't have the backing of... Well, but every but the people who were intellectually on top of it, who were at the heart of it, mm-hmm. knew nothing serious was actually going to happen mm-hmm. in the real world right then and there. Mm-hmm. It was very sophisticated. The irony is that is that sitting in London prior to Major 68, everybody dismissed the French as cafe Marxists yeah. or something, yeah. and then ironically, that's yeah, where it happened. But 68 was just extraordinary. Yeah. You're in Czechoslovakia, Mexico City. Yeah. I was in Berlin. You know, Grosvenor Square on yeah. October 25th. Yeah, I was there. You were there. I was in Bill Grosvenor Clinton Square. Clinton was there. Yeah. Tariq Ali was there. <laughs> I stood next to Tariq oh. Ali. I have a picture by the march. Yeah. It was heady times. And, and as I said, when Richard won the Pompidou and we went, it still there would be, you'd go to the cinema on a Sunday night, right. and it was scary coming back because they would lock the police when right. they just, just lock them in these bands for hours and you just can imagine the tension and the fear right. and you know the horror of having to sit in there yeah. extraordinary and then you yeah. did when did you go to Morocco why was that uh went to Morocco just to be in Morocco went yeah. to Casablanca because yeah. I'd seen a movie called Casablanca yeah. and you had to go to Casablanca yeah. and great and food no? great food I think got, food in got marvelous dysentery oh, did you? Uh, <laughs> in some is living at some hut on, on the coast, and uh, some healer, a woman, came in and gave me something. Yeah. I don't know what it was. It must have been some opiate, because I suddenly yeah. felt great, got yeah. all bound up, yeah. and then kind of yeah. continued on, toured through the Atlas Mountains a bit. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! 
Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. When you were on a movie set, did you think about how to feed the crew? Did you eat yourself? I, or did I you? do, and I make uh-huh. sure that the food on the set is really, really great and have great catering. There's a guy named Mario in, in Miami who I used all did the time. You, and the Miami Vice. I couldn't tell yeah. you his last He's on Miami Vice and other pictures. I just bring him with me. I think that's kind of unique because I've and, talked uh, to various directors or people who've worked on film, and they say it can be a disaster, the lunch. You know, there's just, they're just terrible food, and people eat unhealthy food, and right. then... The amount of time it takes to stop for lunch and eat—it's pretty. It's pretty tough. Yeah. Japan was interesting because because uh, like? the the catering was not great. It's kind of mm. you know kind of you know cardboard bento boxes and mm. stuff. And we, we improved it when I shot the Tokyo Vice Pilot in Tokyo. Did you tell me about food in Tokyo? Food in Tokyo is spectacular. You can't get a bad meal if you're trying to get a bad mm. meal mm. within. We were living in Dakanyama, and within 150 meters of our apartment were probably half a dozen spectacular restaurants, any one of which would have been the best sushi restaurant in Los Angeles. Yeah. Did you eat anything else other than Japanese food? Uh, yes, Italian. Uh, there were the, uh, you know, like literally 150 feet outside the front door was the Princey Bakery from Milan. Yeah. had an outpost next to uh, Sutaya, the big Sutaya bookstore. So there was fantastic Italian bakery goods every morning. Uh, French food was spectacular yeah. in, in Tokyo. Yeah. People in Tokyo, they spend money in a different way than they do in the West. It's, they don't spend money on living space. They spend money on clothes, on food, yeah. on cars, mm. but not on living space. Yeah. It's funny. I, I once spent a morning in a cafe in Milan, and I just kept seeing all these people coming in dressed immaculately and beautifully and young people. And I said, how do they afford to buy that Prada shirt, that Gucci sweater? And they live at home. You know, live at home. Yeah, they yeah. live at home. They yeah. don't pay rent. And so they stay until they get married or they li- really right. leave it. And that gives you, you know, a lot of money to spend, as you say, on food, right. on, on clothes, yeah. and the, on the culture, yeah. you know. And so when you're going tomorrow to Milan, are you right. going to Milan? No, where is Ferrari? I'm, I'm flying to Milan and we're driving right to Modena. Yeah. yeah. And tell me about that. What are you doing? We're doing a very early pre-production on a feature film about three months in the life of Enzo Ferrari mm-hmm. in 1957, when all of the um, all the dynamics of his life that had happened to him at that point mm-hmm. come into collision in those three months, which will determine the fate of everything he's going to become. Mm-hmm. His uh, son Dino had died. About a year earlier, his wife's in mourning. He had another child, an illegitimate son named Piero, Piero Lardi, uh, who was starting to wonder why his name is Lardi and not Ferrari. Mm-hmm. And uh, his company was going bankrupt. His, so was his rival, Maserati. They were both competing to see who could get financing. Uh, his wife, Laura, who was kind of a Maria Callas figure, was about to find out what the whole town knew, which is that there was another family living in, in Castelvetro. So it, it's all of these things come into collision. And the opera house, one of the two opera houses in Modena was right next door. So opera is a huge, uh, plays a huge role in this. Fry early on wanted to be an opera singer. Then he wanted to be a sports writer. Singer. Yeah. Singer. Sports writer. Then he wanted to be a race car driver. And yeah. she was a race car driver in the early 20s. 
And then he raced one or two times against Nuvolari and knew he had no future as a race car driver and started managing the Alfa Romeo racing team. And then started his own Scuderia within Alfa. And that, that was the, um, that's, that's the origins of the, of the company, which he then began in 47 with Lara. And they started with absolutely nothing. So if you think of racing and what is racing, which is an interesting question, uh, why is it so appealing? Uh, I, I think it's so appealing because we have a basic human impulse to exceed limits. I think it's primitive and drives everything. We do, whether it's going to outer space or doing research or going building machines to make us go faster. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think it taps into it. I think that's why it's appealing. Are there yeah. food scenes in the movie? Not yet, Get but I'm together. open to suggestions. If you okay. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about food in your movies, because there's obviously in Heat, when they meet right. in a diner, or there's another diner. Does that interest you, the kind of language or the kind of intimacy you can have in a restaurant as opposed to your it, house? It does, because... Why do we go to restaurants? It's, it's such an important thing in life. Yeah. And, and there's two fantastic restaurants that talk about Heat. There's, yeah. one, there's one, the Broadway Deli, which sadly is no longer there. It's where De Niro picks up Amy yeah. Brenneman and Heat. Yeah. And the other is the coffee shop scene at Kate Madalini, which is a spectacular Kate coffee shop. Yeah. Kate Madalini was a coffee, was a big coffee shop restaurant with, with wonderful modern architecture and contemporary architecture, and right on Wilshire Boulevard, about a block, block west of the academy. And everybody in Los Angeles, on the west side of Los Angeles, loved this restaurant. Mm-hmm. Whoever owned the building decided they should double the rent, and the restaurant went out of business. And there was so much animosity that. Nobody would open another restaurant there because they knew that nobody would go out of hostility to its presence. So it's seven or eight years later, it's still vacant. It's just sitting there. It's not vacant. No one ever went in there. I always think, you know, I say over and over again that people do very private things in a very public space in a restaurant. You know, do you think that's interesting as a scene that you could have filmed? perhaps in somebody's kitchen that you would film in, in a restaurant. What does a restaurant it's the, mean? Uh, for some reason, I don't know why, it always strikes me as it's, it's, it's social, it's warm, and when the ambiance is working as it does in your restaurant, you feel that you, you the phrase extended family, which, you, mm. which you, you, know, you use the way you view it, you really feel that presence. Mm. And so it's both intimate and, it's, and you're in amongst humanity at the same mm. time. You and have you're a doing kind of something safety around you, don't you? Maybe. Safety, and yeah. but you're also part of a context. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so you're, it's intimate, and you're part of the human context, the social context, simultaneously. Uh, and you're doing something as essential as eating, and it's appealing to all your sensory intake. I, you know, it changes your mood. I mean, mm. it's. Do you think you can tell about a person by the way they are in a restaurant? Are they nice to the waiter? Do they say thank you? Do they share their food? Does it tell you something? If you were going to hire somebody, would you want to take them to a restaurant first? Or would you rather bring them home or, or just interview them across the table? Well, I'm a bad person to ask because as a film director, I'm constantly find myself in an involuntary way. It's like, a, it's like I'm like an MRI. Mm. I see what people do and I just... Mm. Mm. You know, and I'm probably in my mind thinking if I had a cast or direct an actor to be this kind of person in a scene, would I be telling him to wear that shirt or he's eating mm. with the wrong fork mm. or the way he wipes his mouth or he mm. doesn't, 
mm. put his napkin in his lap yeah. or the way he picks up a glass. And one of the things you notice right away is that you can pick up a glass, but if you're a convict in Folsom, this is how you pick up the glass. Why is that? Every gesture Why is do you do that? Why things. do you pick up a glass that way in Folsom? Because it's a possession. It's a movement. It's oh, an action, you know, yeah. and everything is telling. And so people in restaurants are both totally self-conscious and self-aware and they're totally unconscious and unself-aware, you know, depending yeah. on who they are or what's going on. Yeah. So it's both revealing and what they're hiding or it's, yeah. or it's revealing and what they don't know they're revealing. Yeah. I think there's something romantic about restaurants. There used to be a restaurant here called La Dome. Yeah. And we went to La Dome. It was our family restaurant. We, yeah. Every occasion was at La Dome. You know, yeah. there'd be a gigantic round table. We have a very large family. Uh, four daughters and sometimes extended boyfriends and what have you. And so we, every time we went out to dinner, it was like seven or eight, nine people going out to dinner. And uh, all important family occasions were there. And then it was Toscana over here yeah. for the last 25 years yeah. as a family place. And you get to know the waiters so well. Yeah. And then there's a party because, you know, Alberto's retiring <laughs> after 20 years. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. And then we meet people who are part of, uh, my, my daughter Erin worked at, River Cafe, River Cafe for years. I, and, even uh, I walk in there, there's still people say, oh, say hi to Erin. They do. They you know, do. They, you know. they remember her. And I think there is a sense. I always think that when you walk into a restaurant, you want to feel somehow, whatever you've been through, you, you know, traffic getting to the restaurant, right. an argument, a phone call, that when you walk in, you're safe. You know, And I, I say that to to the people who work there, that you just have to remember, people might have saved up to come here. This might be a big date. It might be a problem. And we just have to... Say yes, really. But why is it exciting? It is, it is exciting yeah. to walk in the River Cafe. It is exciting to walk into a restaurant you love. It is. And people say hello. And there's just in the yeah. simplest of human interactions. Mm. It's very mm. common human yeah. interaction. It's very, you know. But I also but it's think exciting. You, a, I think you elicit it as well because there are people who walk into a restaurant and don't get that kind of welcome. But I think when Michael Mann and Summer and Aaron come into a restaurant, you look people in the eye, you say hello, you greet them, you know, you look up when right. you're choosing, you know, something from the menu. And so I think that it's a two-way street, you know. I do think that uh, you get what you give, you know. And speaking of getting and what we give, because I know you have to start packing for Italy. If food is love and food is something that's creative to cook, it also right. can be comfort. So my last question to you, Michael Mann, is if you needed food for comfort, is there a food that you would reach for? Probably pastini and brodo. Ah, nice one. To me, it's like, you know, culinary five milligrams of morphine. I can't <laughs> explain it. It is just, it's wonderful. It is mellow, you know. Yeah, well, you're I probably, mean, probably all kinds of old sense memories from my grandmother. Yeah. I mean, it's probably all yeah. kinds of things rolled together because yeah. it's, it's chicken broth and the pot and the cheese. I mean, it's just, I don't know. That's just... If you ask me about comfort food, that, that's, that's it. You well, you're going to have it in northern Italy. You'll have it Probably, in Modena. Yeah, that's where it comes yeah. from. Thank you, Michael. I Thank you. The River Cafe Lookbook is now available in bookshops and online. It has over 100 recipes beautifully illustrated with photographs from the renowned photographer Matthew Donaldson. The book has 50 delicious and easy-to-prepare recipes, including a host of River Cafe classics that have been specially adapted for new cooks. The River Cafe Lookbook, recipes for cooks of all ages.
Ruthie's Table 4 is a production of iHeartRadio and Atomai Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my, look at that, he is... And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you. And how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com.